The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 3 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC3. And this is Secret Church 3, Episode 7. And so what we've done is we've observed, understood, and related this text. And now we're thinking, okay, what does this mean for my life? Three steps to responsible biblical application. Number one, meditate on the timeless truth. And by meditate, I just mean let it soak in. You look at those timeless truths we just listed and you let them soak in. Then second, relate the timeless truth to today. Now in order to do that, what we've got to do is couple of different things. First, we've got to see the timeless truth in its original situation. How does that timeless truth apply in that day? And we look for the people, the places, relationships, ideas that were affected in that original situation by this timeless truth. Okay, stick with me here. And I'm going to give you an example, even beyond Acts 1-8 to think through. How did this timeless truth apply to those people in that time and that place? And then identify a contemporary situation, 21st century situation, that parallels the original situation. That's the same. And look for key elements to people or places that might parallel over here. Now, let me give you an example. Let's take a quintessential misapplied verse of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, now, what we're going to do... So we're going to look at that verse, okay? How does that verse apply? And we're going to, we're going to look, okay, what's the timeless truths here? And well, let's even back up a little farther than that. We got Philippians, Paul's in prison. He's writing this letter. He's gone through very, very difficult times. He's writing this letter to a, a, a group of people that is challenging them to stand firm in their faith. They have been an encouragement to him. At times they have given to him. And so he's got a close relationship with them. And in Philippians 4, actually verses 10 through 13, he's talking about the support and relationships he's had with them. And it's in the the context here, when we're doing these first two steps on the front side of this page, it's Paul talking about contentment. He said, I've learned right before this, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He's talked about how he's known what it's like to be in want and need and he knows what it's like to have plenty. He knows what it's like to have enough and not to have enough. And that's what leads into this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And so maybe the timeless truth would be something like believers can be content, followers of Christ to be content in a variety of circumstances because Christ gives strength no matter what those circumstances are. Something like that. That's kind of the timeless truth. Now, as we think about how to apply that, we want to look at Okay, we're going to meditate on that timeless truth, and then we've got to relate it to today, contemporary situation. Look at the key factors that are involved in Philippians 4. You've got a Christian, Paul, or Christians too. You've got, you've got a, a period of difficulty, suffering that they're going through because of their relationship with Christ. And you've got Christ who gives strength in the middle of that. Okay. So you identify those key elements there. Now you come over here to the contemporary situation, 21st century. And you think of a situation that has all those characteristics. What we need to find is a contemporary situation that matches the original situation. If it doesn't match the original situation of those key elements, we're going to misapply the Bible. Let me give you an example. Two football teams go into the field tomorrow. You've got 
Christian on one side saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can win this game. Only problem is, there's probably a Christian on the other side who's got the same verse written on his wristband. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And both of them have the same pep talk. We can do it. I can do it. We can, this team can win this game. Now, either they've got a problem or God's got a problem when it comes to this game tomorrow. Because obviously you've got two teams that are using Scripture to say that they're going to have the strength to win this game. Now, the missing element here, you've got maybe a Christian on each team here. Maybe you've got Christ who gives strength, but the missing element is someone who's in a period of suffering because of their relationship with Christ. And therefore, to take this passage over here and apply it to mean that we're going to win this game, obviously, rips that passage out of its context. Obviously, we, we realize that. I mean, the reality is, if you really were to apply this in context, you may get mutilated in that game, and the whole purpose of that verse is to teach you that you're going to be okay in the middle of getting just mauled on the football field. <laughs> when it's 72 to zip, and you sit there and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, now that's getting a little more, not quite parallel, but it's getting closer, okay? So maybe you don't want to write that on your wristband, Okay. So, maybe we take another situation. Okay, let's find another situation. Maybe there's a single mom who when she came to faith in Christ, her husband completely deserted her and has left her there with three kids, hardly any finances to meet their needs, struggling through the battles of being a single mom and finding herself in financial straits and sometimes alone. Now, here you've got a Christian, you got a Christ who gives strength, and you got somebody who's going through a time where they are in want and in need. You got a parallel situation here. And so you say to a single mom, or you say, as a single mom, I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Now the Bible is being applied rightly. You look for the parallel. And when there's differences, you've got to note those because they're going to affect the way the Bible is applied. That's what I mean by identifying original, see the timeless truth in its original situation, identify a contemporary situation that parallels the original situation. We misapply the Bible when there's not parallels there. And then relate the timeless truth specifically to that contemporary situation, just like we just did. So you meditate on it, you relate this thing, and then you practice the timeless truth. You practice it. You obey the timeless truth. We put it into practice. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 4-2. We won't read all through it, but we quoted this earlier. This picture of Scripture being God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. I want to encourage you, and this is on the back of these sheets. I believe when we read Scripture, there are five primary questions we need to ask. First question is this. Based on this text, and let me, let me, let me, even before I go into those, let me say that every text doesn't necessarily answer every single one of these questions. But if the only question we ask when we come to a text of Scripture is, okay, what am I supposed to do based on this? Then we may miss some of the application. So first question, ask, who should I be? Who should I be? Don't forget that Christianity is not primarily a religion about doing. It's a religion about being. It's about Christ in us. How does my character need to change based on this text of Scripture? Second question, how should I think? How should I think? We need to learn from the Word how to think Christianly. And this is where that correcting, 
And righteousness, this picture of sometimes we need to be able to discern truth from error based on what we, we study here. Christ affects the way we think. How do I think Christianly? How does this text affect the way I think and perceive things? Third, what should I do? What should I do? And that's where we might go through a list of things like this, a sin to avoid, a verse that I need to memorize, is there a promise I need to claim, a prayer that I need to pray, command to obey, a condition to meet, a challenge to face. What do I do? Don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Then, where should I go? Where should I go? And the reason I say ask this is because this is the question I don't think we ask when we study Scripture. Well, one of the two questions we don't ask very much. All of Scripture, I believe, is intended to be read in the context of mission. When you read the New Testament, this is a people that are going to the nations with the gospel. And if the text does not propel us to go, if the text propels us to sit back in our Christian life and not do anything to affect the cause of Christ in the world, then we may be missing the point of the text. Where should I go? How does this text cause me to go? Make disciples. And that leads to this last question, who will I teach? The word was not intended just for you. Is the word going to stop with you or spread through you? The best way, write this down, the best way to learn the Bible is to teach the Bible. When you are teaching this word, you will have to know it. Now, I'm not just saying teaching it to a group of 2,000 people or teaching it to a group of 220 people. It could be teaching it to one person. But I think we need to ask the question whenever we study the text and realize that whatever God is teaching us is not just intended for us. It's the whole picture of 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Whatever Christ does in me is intended to flow through me. His comfort in me is intended to comfort others. That's the picture. It's the picture with the word. When Christ teaches us, then we've got to say, who... Who and how can I teach this to somebody else? It doesn't mean you have to sit down and have a 45-minute Bible study with them. That would be great in some circumstances. But the truth, how it applies to your life, to look for opportunities to reproduce that, to teach it to others. I want you to imagine with me a church that walks out every Sunday, Sunday morning asking, based on what we saw in the Word, who am I going to be, how am I going to think, what am I going to do, where am I going to go, and who am I going to teach this to? Just imagine, imagine 4,000 people from Brook Hills walking out of here every single Sunday asking those questions. Maybe even deeper though, imagine a whole congregation of people asking those questions by studying the Bible every single day and asking, who am I going to be based on this text? How am I going to think? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And who am I going to teach? That is multiplication of the word of Christ to the nations right there. If we will do it, if we will apply the word, So, application in action. Identify, go back to Acts 1.8. We did this with Philippians 4.13. Key elements involved in the timeless truth in Acts 1.8. Obviously, you got Jesus there. You got the Holy Spirit there. You got these places, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. You got those certain places. And then you've got followers of Christ. But don't forget, there is a small difference here. These are followers of Christ without the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit had come, pre-Holy Spirit. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Those are the key elements in Acts 1.8. Now, identify any situations, real-world scenarios, so to speak. Imagine a picture that has those key elements. You think about tonight in this room, followers of Christ. But notice the difference. Notice the difference. It was future with them. It's present with us. Okay? We're not waiting on the Holy Spirit tonight. We have the Holy Spirit, those of us who are following Christ. Christ, 
We've got Christ, the Holy Spirit, followers of Christ, and we've got, obviously we're not in Jerusalem. We're not in Judea and Samaria, but we are in the ends of the earth. So you've got those key elements that are parallel. Now, write out how that timeless truth that we saw, that some of those we listed, how do they affect this particular world, the, the particular real world scenario? Say us tonight. I think I would say the primary application is this. Believers in Christ, this is what I would write there. Believers in Christ today, tonight, right here can know that the Holy Spirit is in us. Followers of Christ, Christ followers can know the Holy Spirit is in us to enable us to reach the ends of the earth as witnesses to Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you tonight to enable you to reach the ends of the earth as witnesses to Christ. That's Acts 1-8 applied to this group tonight. And so we would ask these questions, and I'm going to give answers to each of these questions. You might not answer, like I said, every single question based on every text, but ask this question, who should I be? I should be filled with the Spirit, walking in His power on a daily basis. Christ is in me, the Spirit of Christ in me, filling me, empowering me. How should I think? I should think of myself as a witness to the glory of Christ. That's who I am. I'm a witness, and I need to think of myself as a witness. I should think, I should think with no geographic boundaries in my life. The Holy Spirit doesn't see geographic boundaries in my life, and therefore I shouldn't either. The Holy Spirit is in me. To reach the ends of the earth, what should I do? I should trust the Spirit of God to use me to accomplish His purpose in the world. That's why He's in me, to use me to accomplish His purpose in the world. Where should I go? I think we have no other option based on Acts 1-8 to go to the ends of the earth. This verse leaves us no other option. I go to the ends of the earth. And who will I teach? It may be I teach my small group. For me, it's I, I teach, teach the faith family on Sunday. I teach my wife, I teach my husband, I teach my kids, I teach my co-workers. I look for opportunities to pass this word on. Now that's the picture that's represented on the back of this page. At the top, bring it back home, how does that relate? Identify these timeless truths and then apply it in your home. What do I do? And walk through those five questions. That is the overview of this page. What I want us to do, that's the foundation, that's the key takeaway. What I want us to do, though, is the rest of our time together, and like I said, we may not get to it all. Maybe pull a minor prophets deal from the Old Testament secret church if you were here for that. Minor prophets just got left out completely. So um, we're going to pull a Hosea on our notes tonight. And what I want us to do is I want us to think about this process. Observe what do I see in a text. Understand what does it mean. Then Then relate, how does this text relate to me? How does the text travel? And then apply it. Bring it back home and apply it in our home. What am I going to do? Now, I don't want to underscore the importance of this stuff. This is all stuff that I think we need. What I want us to do is dive into these different genres. And we're going to go ahead and dive into a couple, and then we'll take a break. But I want us to dive into these different genres. And I want us to look at them like different games, different sports. And we've got to figure out what the rule is for each game what the rules are for how to interpret this or that. So you come to that next picture. It's almost like, even go back to the mission trip analogy, we're going into different countries. You're going to look for different things in the Middle East than you do in Indonesia that you look for in China that you look for in South America. So we're going into different countries, going to spend different amounts of time there because some of these, some of these areas are easier to interpret than others. But I want us to journey through different genres. And what we're going to do is look at four things. First, I just want us to think real briefly about some of the difficulties in certain genres. 
Second, we're looking at some general guidelines. And then third, I want us to walk through just real quickly, and we're going to fly through on some of these, the observe, the understand, the bring it back home, and the apply. Walk through those four steps in each genre, and then look at an example. But we really won't have time to do examples, so that, yeah, we just won't have time to do it. Okay, here we go. Jump into the letters, New Testament letters. And I want to start here because they're probably the easiest. Journey into the New Testament and think about the letters, known as the epistles. We've got some difficulties here. There's some things in the letters that we walk away saying, what in the world does that mean? When Paul says, if there's no resurrection, what will those, who, those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? Apparently, people were getting baptized for the dead, and we really don't know a lot about why or what. What in the world is going on there? Or what in the world are we supposed to do? Let me give you an example. With just one book, one letter, book to the letter to the Romans. It says in Romans 12.10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay, easy enough. That's easy to apply. Now the second one. Romans 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now what does that mean when you're living in a persecuted country? And the authorities say, don't gather together for worship. Hmm. All right, that's maybe a little harder. Then you get to Romans 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, is that what we're going to do? Well, we said Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Of course we do that. Romans 13, well, maybe. I'm not sure how that looks. We get to Romans 16, and it's talking about kissing each other, and we're thinking, what in the world has happened in the book of Romans? How do you know? How do you know which one to do and which one not to do? I remember walking through the book of Romans in a disciple group of, there was two guys that I was discipling in college, and we were studying Romans, and we got to the end. He said, why don't we do this? And uh, he was a real introspective guy and real serious, and, and he was very serious. He said, I mean, we, we do what it says here and here and here. Um, why, why, don't, why don't we do this? And I, I, I said, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. And I start, uh, you know, going into the, all the description of this and that. And this is why you need to know how to study the Bible, because you want to be able to answer questions like that. And so he, he, he was not convinced by all the answers I gave. And it was so funny. It was so funny. Uh, we got to the end, and I was just exasperated. Finally, I said, listen, man, if you think this is something that, that you are convicted you need to do, then... I'm fine if we do this greeting with a holy kiss, like on the cheek, but greeting with a holy kiss if you, if you think we need to do that. And so he was like, all right. And so we kind of left to that. And then, uh, then he was leaving later that night. And it talks about greeting. I don't know why it was awkward leaving. But, uh, <laughs> but it was still funny because, uh, and it is something they would do in that culture when they left as well. And so... Uh, we had talked about that, and so he's leaving the apartment there in college, and uh, <laughs> <there's> <laughs> these are things maybe a pastor shouldn't share. Um, but he's leaving, and our, our eyes kind of lock, and uh, <laughs> and. And we're both thinking it, and uh, I mean, this was like a first date. It's what it was. <laughs> and uh, he was about five, ten feet away from me, and all of a sudden he comes toward me, and I just kind of freeze. <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> he gives me a kiss on the cheek and just runs out of the apartment. <laughs> Let me assure you, that was the only time we applied <laughs> Romans 16, 16 like that. Whew. So, so those, those are difficulties. <laughs> we, we need to know how to interpret the Bible, okay? How to apply the Bible, just for so many reasons. Okay, <laughs> general guidelines for reading the letters. Okay, New, New Testament letters, I really not plan on sharing that. New Testament letters are, are and, and the thing is, what is interesting is when that is translated in other languages, uh, that will seem... I mean, that's not odd at all. I mean, we, we were in the Middle East. Uh, we, we got to know guys, and it just became the deal. And uh, Billy was there. He was the first one to go for it, and he, uh, <laughs> he, he did it. And, uh, and then since he had done it, it was like, well, well now I've got to do it. And so, uh, so, but it's a picture of, it's a picture of honor, respect, friendship. Anyway, uh, general guidelines for reading the letters. Um, <laughs> New Testament letters are occasional documents. Now, here's what I mean by that. They're written to a specific audience at a specific time to address a specific situation. New Testament letters are addressing specific situations. We're going to go fast through this stuff, so just get ready to keep turning. They, there was some circumstance that caused this letter to be written in all these instances. Maybe there were behaviors that needed to be corrected. We need to realize that oftentimes when we see Paul talking about husbands and wives, husband, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, it's not just this isolated teaching that's out there. He's addressing something that's going on there in Ephesians. He's addressing something that's going there in, on, on there in Colossians. And so we need to know there was a specific occasion that was bringing this about. Behaviors that needed to be corrected, doctrines that needed to be straightened out. Paul's not just writing a systematic theology here. He's straightening out some false teachings, misunderstandings that need to be clarified. Now, here's the problem. This makes it difficult because a lot of the times we have the answers, but we don't know the questions. You see how that causes problems? It's like listening to one side of a telephone conversation when we read a New Testament letter. There's something going on here, and there's some assumptions even that are shared between these two groups, the writer and the audience that we're kind of out of. And so we've got to get into that. That creates a lot of difficulties. We've got to be careful. We are careful not to conclude then too much from only one letter. Only one letter. We've got to put these letters together to see the overall picture. In order to understand the conversation better, we've got to get into all these different letters. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, 29, which I mentioned just a second ago, talking about being baptized for the dead. When you look at that scripture, you got to realize there's at least 40 different guesses that good Bible scholars have about what in the world is going on in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And so let's not get too hung up on this. Let's put it together with the other letters. And I think that some of those things will be minimized a little bit. We are confident that God has clearly communicated to us what is most important. We've talked about that. We can be confident that God has clearly communicated to us what is most important. So they're occasional documents. Second, New Testament letters are not, they are not theological treatises. This is not a theology book. Even, even a picture, justification, when I picture that, that picture of being justified before God, it is Paul. Paul talks about that a lot. But actually when you look at it, he uses that word 15 times in Romans and I think six or eight times in Galatians. But he uses it only two times in all of his other letters. He's not trying to give us a theological treatise on justification. That was something important to be addressed in that particular situation. Anytime we see theology, it's theology addressed to a particular situation. 
And what we've got to realize when we think about our theological ideas and maybe even some of the problems we have, questions we have theologically, we've got to realize that the answers, theological answers that are being given in the New Testament letters are answers to their questions, not ours. Does that make sense? This is key. We sometimes go to New Testament letters trying to get answers for our theological questions when those were not questions back then that they were wrestling with, that were being addressed there. And so when we go to New Testament letters looking for an answer on abortion or an answer on remarriage or an answer on infant baptism, some of these things were not as prevalent in that point, and so they weren't addressing some of those things. So we may be asking questions that the text was not intended to answer in the first place. That's key. Overall, New Testament letters have a common form. They start with an introduction, usually an introduction of the author. I wish Hebrews would have given us that, but it doesn't. So some, not all letters have all of these things, but usually they start with an introduction of the author. These, these letters are representations of the people that are behind them. That's what, that's what a first century letter would do. It was like an authoritative substitute. And it's like I told you about letters that I get from Heather that she would write to me. I mean, that was like, this is like an authoritative substitute. You know, if she's not here, we spend a summer apart, I've at least got her letters. That's kind of the picture. Then they go on to an identification of the audience, a greeting, a prayer, or thanksgiving, sometimes turns into a whole doxology. And we got to realize, though, those, those are not in every one. Hebrews doesn't have a lot of that. First John doesn't have those formal elements. Some letters have some and some don't. Introduction. Then the body. There's really no set format to the body of the New Testament letter, but it's the bulk of it. And then the conclusion. Sometimes it's a final greeting. You look at Romans 15 and 16, it almost looks like an introduction. Then you've got a farewell. And then these various elements that are listed there. These, you see holy kiss on there, autograph prayer requests, greetings, all those different things that are listed there. Here's the deal. I mentioned, I've mentioned a couple times that some letters have some of these and some letters don't. Differences in form are often clues to meaning. Differences in form are often clues to the meaning. What I mean by that is when you go to Galatians and you don't see at the very beginning the strong thanksgiving and you see him go directly into really a rebuke you realize there's something going on between Paul and the church in Galatia that, that's being addressed here. He doesn't even spend time doing the, the nice thank you or nice prayer of thanksgiving. Instead, he says, why are you deserting the gospel from the very beginning? And so that gives us a little clue into what's going on right there. A practical process for reading the letters. Now, this is going to be the same in each one of these things we look at. We're going to look at observe, understand, bring it back home, and apply it back home. Observe their home. What do I see? Two things to think about. Number one, read. And by that I mean begin by reading the letter aloud through in one setting. Read it. These letters, they would be delivered and someone would stand there or sit there and read the letter from beginning to end out loud to an entire congregation of people. Now, that was the setting that letters came in. How do you and I read letters? We read them most often silently, little parts here or there, to ourselves alone. Spend, spend some time with your family and read out loud Philippians from cover to cover. Spend some time with a group of people and just read a letter out loud from cover to cover. You get a picture of the scope of what's going on in a way that you don't get it by just reading it by yourself. It's like taking one of those letters from Heather. Say she's written me a five or six page letter. It's a doozy. And, and 
I'm not going to start, well, I get this letter, and the first day I get it, I'm going to read page three. And the next day, I'm going to read half of page four. And then the next day, a couple days later, I'm going to read half of page two. That would not be the way you would read a love letter, obviously. Well, that's oftentimes how we read New Testament letters. And we don't ever realize that this paragraph right here was really dependent on what was said in this paragraph back here. You see how these things are important for letters. Read and then second, reconstruct. You've got to get into the original situation behind the letter. Ask all those questions that we talked about asking. You've got to reconstruct the situation. So that's your observation. Now your understanding, understanding their home. What does it mean? I want to encourage you, when you read letters, think paragraphs. Think paragraphs. For each paragraph and series of paragraphs, write down in one sentence or two sentences the answer to the overall question, what's the point? What's the point? You want to write that down. As you think about paragraphs. Now, it doesn't mean you don't study individual verses. There's some verses that are packed with meaning. But think paragraphs. What's the point of this paragraph? How does that relate to the point of this paragraph? What's the flow of all these paragraphs together? Then bring it back home. How does it relate? Look for, I'm just going to split these out, the biblical and compatible. Remember that which is, aligns with the text there and with all of Scripture. Focus on truths that are central to the message of the text and all the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. When you read the letters and you see it talking about the sinfulness of man, the life, death, the resurrection of Christ, these are key. These are central truths. When you see in the letters talking about, for example, the holy kiss or women's head coverings or this or that that are not central to the whole meaning of the Bible, then put a little less emphasis there when it comes to these timeless truths that we're identifying. Look for the eternal and cross-cultural. Focus on truths that are consistently taught in Scripture. Remember, because you got these different settings, sometimes Scripture may say something to one setting that it might look differently in another setting. And so when you've got thoughts on the political situation in Rome in one instance and another instance, when you've got thoughts on eating this kind of food or that kind of food that maybe is a little different from this letter to that letter, don't camp out too long on that. But look for that which is, which is consistent, what is taught. For example, things like sexual immorality homosexuality. These are things that are spoken clearly, consistently about in all these letters put together. And so camp out on that which is central, not on that which is more peripheral. Finally, look for the applicable. Focus on truths that are inherently true in all situations. True in all situations. Just like I mentioned, Paul's sin lists, all the sexual sin lists, that all, they all start with sexual, avoid sexual immorality. Those things are inherently true. They're inherently moral. But foot washing, eating, eating this kind of food or that kind of, kind of food, exchanging the holy kiss, Paul's personal preference for celibacy, those things are not inherently true in all situations. And so write out the timeless truth or truths using present tense verbs. verbs. God is doing this. God does this. Jesus does this. Whatever it looks like in different paragraphs, passages that we're studying. Then apply it in your home. What do I do? Meditate on the truth, remember, then relate the timeless truth to today. We walk through how to do that, maybe in an example like Philippians chapter 4. And uh, taking, taking the original situation, put it next to parallel situations, and then looking at how we can apply those things. Relate the timeless truth specifically to contemporary situations. Ask the five questions. Let me give you an example. I think you've got it there. You've got Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. We'll break right after this. You look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. You remember this passage? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off 
uh, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've got that picture in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. What I wrote down was a list of things you would write down. Your overall context, why was Hebrews written? Therefore, at the beginning of Hebrews 12, 1, why is that there? This instruction to persevere in discipline, that's what Hebrews 12 is writing about. The imagery here. Let us, that verb is mentioned three times. We throw off two things. There's a list. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Run with endurance. That's a theme that we see throughout Hebrews. Fix our eyes on Jesus because he's gone ahead of us. He endured. Why? For joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. All these different things. And then you've got purpose statement in verse 2 and 3. So you list all those things out. Then understand their home. What does it mean? And I kind of concluded and said, okay, the author of Hebrews encouraged these Jewish Christians to endure in their faith despite opposition. He reminds them the only way they can endure is by focusing on Jesus himself. Now, I, hopefully that's responsible. It's simple, but it's specific. It's what's going on in that context. And then you turn it over and you look at the second part. Bring it back home. How does it relate? The Christian life. It's like, now, these are the timeless truths. The Christian life is like a race that requires effort and endurance. The saints who have gone before us provide valuable examples of endurance that encourage and inspire us. To run the race successfully, Christians need to reject things that hinder their progress and focus completely on their relationship with Jesus. Those are timeless truths. Then we take those and we ask these questions about application. I won't read through each of those, but you see the picture. I, want, I wanted to give you a... We did Acts 1.8 picture of how that might look with a New Testament letter. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.